0: All right. You can go ahead and begin turning to Matthew chapter sixteen. Matthew chapter sixteen. Um, today we get to talk about one of my favorite people in the Bible. This morning we're talking about Peter, and everybody ought to love Peter at least if 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 you're one of those like me who tends to just talk a lot and just kind of talk without thinking. Uh, I was I, I was I was joking about it. I I I, I scared. Tiff on the way in because she. I said you're in the you're in the intro today. She said what? I said it's nothing to worry about because because I imagine if if Tiff or or if Nick were back in the time that Peter was walking around, they would both be giving him the stop talking man all the time. So, so I have always loved Peter because I find, uh, I find that I uh, relate well to Peter in that he has lots of good ideas, lots of good intention, not necessarily a lot of pause, think through what you're going to say before you start speaking. One who's just like, have idea, we'll say it, we'll go. And that sometimes gets him into trouble. That sometimes puts him in a bad position. That sometimes means that he's not thinking through all of the different things that that God might be desiring for him to think about before it is that he begins to speak. So if you're in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, and the whole book of Matthew, and the story of Jesus' life while he was here on earth, is that whole chapter is one of the most important kind of moments in Jesus' ministry. Because, because up till Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had been going all over the place, performing all these miracles, getting lots of people excited about the things that he was doing, getting lots of people, uh, sometimes, unfortunately, uh, in a position where they were misinterpreting why it was that he was working the way that he was. They were thinking, here comes our political Savior. This is going to be great. Everything's going to be so much better for us now. And Jesus is doing all of these big things. but, But in Matthew chapter 16, he sits down with his disciples, and he has this conversation where he says, who do people think I am? And they say, some say you're a prophet. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're, you're all these amazing things. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, again, quick to speak, first into action, says, you are Christ, the son of the living God, which was the right answer. So sometimes, just to say, sometimes those of us who speak quickly can get the answer right. But as we're about to read, that doesn't always continue. So so here's the thing. So Peter says, you're Christ. And Jesus says, yes. And on that truth, on that, on that fact, and your belief in that fact, I'm going to build a whole church. Right? This idea that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. But then, at that moment, Jesus says, but I have to tell you the rest of how this is going to work. And that's kind of where we pick up in chapter 16. And that's why this This part of chapter 16 is so important because this is where Jesus begins to have less of a big, outspoken, big demonstrative ministry, and rather is going to focus more in on his apostles and focus more in on preparing them for what was to come next. Because in Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to start in verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So he's starting now to say, here's how this is actually going to play out. Insert Peter. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So sometimes Peter's, Peter's mouth, sometimes Peter's, Peter's ability to just start vomiting words as quickly as he possibly could, just saying whatever it is that's coming to his head, would get him in a lot of great positions where he's saying a lot of things because there was a whole lot of truth in Peter. There was a whole lot that he understood, and we're going to continue to see that. But there were some times that he wouldn't think things through all the way. He would have this, this overwhelming sense of confidence without a sense of consequence. Can you relate to that sometimes where you're like, let's go. I'm, this, this is a thing that tends to happen a whole lot more uh, with like teenage to 20-something males where, where we feel, I say we, where I used to, and where some of you who are still in that range continue to feel as though you can take on the world and nothing's ever going to stop you. It doesn't. Nothing. Nothing could possibly go wrong if I climb down into this cave and swim through this mucky water. Nothing could ever happen. I'm invincible. And this this confidence without sense of consequence sometimes continues to play up in all of our lives, I would imagine, at some point. When we think we know the right answer, maybe you're wanting to be that straight-A student. You're wanting to be that teacher's pet. And so you're saying, as soon as the question gets asked, my hand's going up, or I'm just going to start blurting the right answer because I want them to think highly of me. But we don't think through the consequence of, what if I don't know the actual answer? Or what if I'm wrong? Or what if they don't want me to give the answer, they wanted this to be more rhetorical and I'm supposed to think through it? Or what if you're Peter and you're sitting here saying, I know what's best. I should pull the creator of the universe aside and treat him like a child who's misbehaving and say, that will never happen. You should not talk that way. You shouldn't say things like that. I will make sure that that is not a thing that happens. Because if you think about it, that's exactly what Peter just did. Because he, he pulls Jesus to the side. Like, if you could imagine, so you've got the like, parent who's got the kid that won't stop wiggling. Some of you might can, um, can associate yourselves with this. That feeling of, I can't get them to stop, so what is it that you eventually do? You say, come with me. This was me every now and then. Hold off to the side. Stop. No. Embarrassing. Right? That's that's what Peter's saying to Jesus. Jesus, you are embarrassing me right now. How could you say that you're going to die? You're supposed to be the Savior, the Messiah. The Savior, the Messiah. They're not supposed to come and die. No, I would never let that happen to you. And I'm sure in Peter's mind, he's thinking, oh, this is a trick question. One of us is supposed to step forward and confidently say, no, what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You are acting as a hindrance to me. Essentially, Jesus is saying, That doesn't sound like fun for me either. But don't sit there and talk about how that's a bad thing. It's what I have to do. It's what I must do. And you're only going to hinder me if you continue to think that way. I need you behind me, supporting me, because this is the way that we're going to fix everything. So so maybe you can associate yourself with Peter. this Sometimes, sometimes... You have so much confidence that you're just unwilling to budge on the idea that you could be wrong or that you don't have the full story. But that's not always who Peter was. Sometimes Peter wasn't super confident, speak up real loud. Sometimes he would shy away and be afraid, man. Right? Matthew, if you're still in the book of Matthew, uh, go ahead and turn to chapter 26. Chapter 26 of Matthew, so just a few pages over from there. And I'm going to read Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to start in verse 30. Again, Jesus interacting with Peter. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, fully confident. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Again, Peter So confident. I got this, Jesus. Why would you doubt me? Don't you remember who I am? You said you're going to build the church on the foundation of the words that I said. Like 10 chapters ago. I'm sure he probably didn't say the 10 chapters ago part. But at the same time, he's so confident in himself and so confident in his belief. Still in chapter 26, jump down. We're going to start in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. This is after Jesus had been taken into custody. He was one of the few who went and followed him. Everybody else ran. So he's still confidently following after Jesus. Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You are with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw it. And she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So here's the thing. Sometimes, and maybe this is true of you, sometimes our confidence is just kind of a shield we're putting up to hide the actual terror that we have or the actual fear of the unknown or the fear of something bad happening to us. And deep down, I mean, you can, you can think about it, Peter, Peter's jumping out and so confidently saying, I would never do that, but he's also making sure to say, hey, I want you to know, I'm, I'm good, I'm with you, I've got it all figured out. He's concerned for his own self-interest as, as he's presenting himself before Jesus. And right here, again, a little girl walks up to him and says, were you with Jesus? And he's terrified to admit to this little girl, That he was with Jesus because he's so afraid of his, for his own, again, his own self-interest. Ben, thank you for this beautiful object lesson. You're good. Whatever, man. But here's the thing. He's still, he's showing that and more than anything, he's a self-preservationist. And sometimes we can fall into this too. I got to protect myself. I got to take care of myself. If I admit that I'm with Jesus right now, they might kill me and then I'm good for nothing. Even though literally a few hours before he said, I would rather die with you than deny you. Right? We speak so confidently when we're in, you know, kind of friendly confines around people that we're comfortable with or people that we trust. But as soon as we're outside of that, that confidence kind of reveals itself to just be I guess, kind of a wall that we put up to guard against how we actually feel, which is afraid, worried about ourselves, making, desiring that, that we come out ahead, we come out in good shape, we don't want to face bad things. And Peter reveals himself to be somebody who is willing to deny Jesus to protect himself. Even to the point that to demonstrate just how much he doesn't know Jesus, he starts running around cursing and saying all these things to try to make an example of just how not with Jesus he is because he's so afraid. He's so worried about the consequences. We, we see this kind of thing continue to play out in Peter's life. He, he he'll, use this, he'll, he'll use these words that are so wonderful and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. But then deep down, he's still a little bit afraid. He's still a little bit afraid of what could happen to him if he really just kind of goes all in on that. If he just kind of lives it to the fullest. Once, once you know, once the once the rubber hits the road. Once, once everything happens. Once it all kind of boils down. He's in the end. He's still like a little bit held back, a little bit guarded, a little bit worried about himself. Uh, a few now. It's been probably a couple of months. When we were going through Acts, one of the the main subjects that we talked about in our study through the book of Acts was how uh, the gospel in Acts brought together such a diverse group of people, people from all sorts of different backgrounds. It went from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, how that was the idea of the Great Commission, and that ultimately the church would be filled with all the nations of the world, and that that was kind of shocking to some of those who had been in Israel and brought up under the law, thinking we are the chosen people of God and we're all that God is going to focus on. And it was weird to kind of go outside of that mentality, even though from the very beginning God had said, my desire is that through through these chosen people, all the nations of the world be blessed. Israel had kind of missed that. And that we talked about how even with Peter, because remember, and, and this is, kind of summarizing Acts 10 and 11 for you. In Acts 10 and 11, Peter's given this vision by God where God lowers down this sheep with all these different kinds of animals, clean and unclean, and he says, Go, Peter, kill and eat. And again, Peter, confidently knowing the right answer, says, No, I'm not supposed to do that, therefore I won't. And God says, What I have called clean is clean. So go and kill and eat. And he did this three times, and Peter was all confused. Why is this the case? Well, it was because at the same exact moment, God was sending a Gentile to Peter to ask for him to come and pray for his family and explain the gospel to him, that that this whole Gentile family might be saved. And Peter began to understand that, that the gospel wasn't only for Israel. It wasn't only for his people begins to understand, and we even see him in Acts 10 and 11 begin to explain, oh, God's saying this gospel is good for anybody. We shouldn't think of people differently just because they come from a different nation than we do. And it was vital to him in that moment that he understand that and vital to him that he began to practice taking the gospel to different people. But does that mean that he he immediately once he understood that that was never a struggle for him again no if you want to go ahead and turn to the book of galatians chapter 2 in galatians chapter 2 um one of the main themes in the book of galatians is that paul's trying to explain we need no other gospel like we have this gospel that has been given to us and it's good for everybody So why would we add to it? Why would we add more laws on top? Why would we add more rules on top of that? We're going to go with what this book says. And he talks in here about an interaction that that Paul had with Peter. And I think this this is important for us to note because we just talked about how Peter began to understand that he's supposed to be living differently with regard to people that are not from the nation of Israel. He's supposed to be kind of branching out a little bit more, be comfortable welcoming those into the church. In Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, here's what, what Paul says. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. That's a great way to introduce the story. Like I, I love sometimes when Paul Paul, you want to talk about confidence, Paul's got some confidence, man, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Force Gentiles to live like Jews. What is happening here? What is happening in this story? Peter has finally understood, oh wait, the gospel's for all of these peoples of the world. It's for me to go and it's for me to take it to everybody. And he's sitting there and he's having a meal with Gentiles and everything's going great. Probably they're eating some sort of pork and beef, and it's and it's amazing. Right? They're they're probably they're probably having a great time, great meal, enjoying. And then some of the what he called the circumcision party. So I'm gonna call, I'm gonna reframe this. So then some of the old school Jews on Twitter caught wind of the fact that Peter was tweeting back and forth with the Gentiles, and they were like, you can't do that. You're canceled. Hey, And Peter's like, I don't want to be canceled, guys. I'm not going to hang out with them anymore. I'm going to come hang out with you. Here, I'm even going to bring all the guys that are on our team with us. Come on. We're just going to separate ourselves again because, because the Twitter mob came after me, and I don't want the Twitter mob to come after me. Does this sound familiar? That's happening every single day. The Twitter mob says, no, you can't do that. And people say, well, then I better not do that. We make more decisions in this society based on what Twitter tells us to do than whether or not we've read anything else about what the facts may be. Not going to go on a long rant. That's as long as my rant. No, it's not. Out of fear. What was Peter's mistake earlier? When the little girl came up an unassuming little girl, when she came up and said, were you with Jesus? He became afraid of what would happen to him if he confidently claimed his following of Jesus. And he withered. He got afraid. Here, some people who don't understand the freedom that, that Peter was experiencing in Christ to take the gospel and share life with all of these different people came and said, what are you doing, Peter? And in fear fear of the loud voices, fear of the vocal minority. Peter said, whoa, easy guys. I'm with you. I'm on your team. Don't be mad at me. If we're making our decisions on how we're supposed to live our life, Based on the opinions of others online, or what people in our family say, or what the friends around us say, and any of those things are counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if those are in any way in opposition to what we have been given in this book, then we are caving into fear and we are not living our lives in the light of the gospel and the freedom that we have in Jesus. And that is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And even the most confident spirit filled among us. Look at Peter, who, who filled with the Holy Spirit, stood before thousands and said, You killed Jesus, now come follow him. And they did. That same Peter is now withering away in fear. And not just that, he's, and it makes, and Paul makes the point, he even pulled Barnabas and some of the other Jews along with him into sin. That fear caused him to lead others away from the truth of the gospel. Which is why everything that we do, every decision that we should should be making, every way that we respond, every, every action that we take, should be informed by the truth of the gospel. Led by the Holy Spirit. And if you're like, I don't, I don't know, the, the Bible doesn't say anything specific about masks. Well, the Bible does say specific things about submission to authority. So maybe we could start there. In the end, the most confident, passionate. Ready to jump out there and say anything. We didn't even talk about how, when the guards came to take Jesus, Peter was like, "Don't worry, Jesus, I got this." He starts hacking at guys, cutting off ears, like, like that guy. I mean, Peter is basically braveheart, right? Like, can we all agree? Like that guy is in the in, on the inside is a coward who's afraid for himself, who wants to be liked by everybody who doesn't want to be thought poorly of. And that is so easy for us to to connect with because I think so many of us, even if we are super confident or even if we feel like we can stand in front of anybody and talk for however long, that's not a problem. At some level, all of us can connect with this idea of wanting to make sure that we're looking out for ourselves and the temptation to kind of shy away when things get difficult is something that I think all of us can connect with at some point. But even though Peter even though Peter didn't understand that Jesus had to die and tried to rebuke him, even though Peter was afraid and denied Jesus just like he said he would, even though Peter still, even though he had understood and begun to practice this kind of welcoming version of the gospel that was for all the nations, still demonstrated signs where inside it still wasn't like 100% locked in for him just like everybody else in this series. That's not his whole story. And so if that is you, if you still shy away in fear, or if you have denied Jesus for the sake of preserving your own reputation, or if you think you have known better than God what he should do, and you've decided it's probably best that I tell you now that this is how, God, you should work in my life. If you can relate to that There is still hope for you. Mark chapter 16. After Jesus had died, he'd been been murdered on the cross, taking on all of our sin and all of our shame, and had been buried. Some came to, to check on him and found that he was not in the tomb. In fact, he had been risen. He had been raised from the dead. And what's one of the first things that Peter says to these women who came and found him? Mark 16, verse 7, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Think about what's happening right there. Jesus is making the point, go tell all my guys, but make sure that Peter knows that I want him there because he's still one of my guys even though he denied me the first thing that jesus bring peter because i'm not finished with him first peter chapter 2 9 and 10 we get we get kind of this peter level 10 version of himself where he's kind of figuring he's kind of figured things out and he's speaking back to the church with all manner of confidence. And this is one of my this is one of my favorite passages um, in, in the New Testament. I just I, I love what it's saying. Think about who Peter was, shying away from from the Gentiles for the sake of the his reputation among the Jews. And then years later Peter's able to write this in first Peter chapter two, this is nine and ten. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession. He's speaking about the church here, not an individual group of people. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter farther along in his maturing is able to now teach to the church what he now understands to be true. that yes, we were very different. Yes, there were lots of things that divided us. And I would even go on to say because if you look at it, he's talking about this in relation to those of us who have been saved and added to the church. We are now a family, we are now a nation, we are now connected. That would imply that it's not surprising that there's so much division for those outside of the church and for those who are outside of the church with those who are in the church. Like It's not surprising that there continues to be division because we're not all united as one people in that sense. But by the mercy of God, once we have received the mercy of God, being called out of darkness into His marvelous light, we are we are united as one people, and that's what Peter's trying to say. I see it now. It's not about Gentiles and Jews. It's not about people that are like me and people that are different from me. No. It's about the people of God that He has brought together and knitted together as a family. Which is why, and I know that it is so hard for me to like teach this way right now, where we can't like. It's super tight, and you hug, and you can't like all those things. Like I've said it before, like I'm missing handshakes and high fives, man. Like it's hard for me. I'm a, I am, I am an extrovert, and I, yeah, it's, it's tough. But he's saying this is what it's, we're supposed to be family. It's supposed to be that kind of close where we're in each other's lives and we're in each other's space. And that's all because we have all received the mercy of God. We all have had this marvelous light revealed to us. We all see it and we're united in that. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. One last verse that I want to read. This is from Acts chapter 4, 19 and 20. This is right after Peter and John uh, healed a guy and then got arrested for it. Because that's what you do when somebody performs a miracle and heals somebody, is you, you arrest them. Bring them in for interrogation. And then you beat them and charge them not to continue talking about Jesus. Because that's got to be a bad thing, for them to continue talking about Jesus. And again, thinking about what we've known of Peter up to this point. That confidence without consequence that kind of wanes when he's met with opposition. And he kind of falls into fear. In Acts chapter 4, 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. He gets to this moment in his life where he's like, I'm not denying him again. I'm with him. I'm not going anywhere. I can't help but talk about him because of all the things that I know. And if that's going to be a problem for you, You've got to figure out how you're going to handle that. But me, I have to speak. And I think that you can see the Holy Spirit working in Peter's life. And that's the same Holy Spirit that is at work in the lives of those that are saved in this room. That have been stitched together by the power of God into this family. And if that's you, and you sometimes find yourself being afraid, or you sometimes find yourself thinking, I can't say that because of this consequence, or... I'm afraid of putting myself out there in this way. I don't want you to I don't want you to hear that means you're wrong. Okay. You can hear that that means you're wrong, but don't think that means you're not worth anything. Don't think that means you're not worth anything to the church. Don't think that means you should be gone and we shouldn't consider you anymore. Think about Jesus, but go get my disciples and Peter. Like like Jesus still can do something with you, and he will still do something with you. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit will continue to work with you. That's why we have this this word called sanctification. Sanctification, that process whereby after we're saved, Jesus slowly begins to transform us to make us more like him. There's a process that begins when we're saved. And, 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 and that process is an ongoing thing, just like we've seen in every single other person that we've talked about up to this point. And we'll continue to see for two or three more weeks. God's not finished working in you, so even if you find yourself being afraid, don't say that means I'm worth nothing and I should leave, but instead say, God, please continue to work in me. God, please continue to Grow me. God, please continue to build my confidence, not in some sort of abrasive, outlandish way where I'm like, I can say anything and nothing's ever going to hurt me, but instead a confidence not in what we have to say or what we know, but a confidence in what this book says is true and what this book says is true about us.